This is the Trails Church Podcast. At the Trails Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples through the gospel in community and on mission. If you'd like more information about our church, visit our website, thetrails.org. Now here's today's podcast. Open your Bible with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And for those of you that I've not had the privilege of meeting yet, my name is Matt Boswell, and it is my great joy to serve as a pastor of the Trails Church and on behalf of our elders and our entire congregation. Uh, we gladly extend you the warmest of welcomes as we've gathered to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ. From the very first Easter, when the words, He is risen, rang through the Judean countryside, to hearing it resound through Boyer Elementary, countless lives have been eternally changed by the reality of the resurrection. Through history and around the world today, churches will participate in a liturgical call and response where the minister will stand and to proclaim to the church, Christ is risen, and the congregation will reply, He is risen indeed. So for us to participate in this great tradition and also to pass this down to our children who are listening, let us uh, again joyfully proclaim, Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. I'd like to begin by telling you the story of a man called Luke Short. Mr. Short was born in Dartmouth, England in the 17th century when he was 15 years old. On an ordinary Sunday, he sat in a church and heard a pastor named John Flavel preach on the salvation that comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. Flavel told the congregation the sobering reality uh, that each of them had sinned and broken God's law and command, and apart from forgiveness that comes through Jesus, there was no hope their souls had for forgiveness or for eternal life. Young Luke heard this message of how he needed a Savior, but on that particular Sunday, he did not respond by placing his faith in Jesus. Fast forward many years later, he's now an old man living over 3,000 miles away from home in New England. Mr. Short is living as a farmer, and one day when he was just going about his business, something remarkable happened. Robert Murray McShane tells it like this. One day, as Luke Short sat in his field, he busied himself in reflecting on his past life. He thought of the days of his youth, his memory fixed on Mr. Flavel's sermon, a considerable part of which he remembered 85 years later. The earnestness of the minister, the truths spoken, the effect on the people, all came fresh to his mind, and he felt that he had not trusted or loved the Lord Jesus and feared the dreadful judgment that awaited him. He was deeply convinced of his sin and convicted of his sin, and in that field, while he was going about his work, he trusted in Jesus Christ. And in the blood of Christ, which alone can wash away sin. McShane said he lived to his 116th birthday. 
giving every evidence of being born again. McShane concludes, he says, Ah, how faithful is God. He let not one of his words fall to the ground. In God's perfect timing, that day in a field in New England, a 100-year-old man was born again by placing his faith in Jesus. He heard the gospel message 85 years earlier, but in God's perfect providence and his perfect time, Mr. Short trusted in Jesus. You see, it wasn't that he didn't know the basics of the gospel over those years. The problem was that he didn't believe in the message of the gospel. Many people in our day know the story of the man Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, There were even two articles on him in the Wall Street Journal yesterday. Many have heard how the Bible teaches that he was the Son of God, completely God and completely man at the same time. They've heard tales of the virgin birth that marks our calendar as we celebrate Christmas. And uh, most people would know even Easter is the day where Christians celebrate uh, whispers, even shouts of the resurrection of Jesus, that not only did he die, but he was somehow born again on the third day. Yet the good news of Jesus, who came to live and die and rise again in the place of sinners, has not changed most people's lives. Many of you uh, know the basics of the gospel. You're here because of the resurrection of Jesus. But my question is, when did you believe in the resurrection of Christ? When did you believe and take Christ as your Savior? It may be in God's providence that he's brought you here, jam-packed in an elementary school cafeteria this morning, so that today might be the day that you are born again. And if, even if not today, I pray that the seeds of the gospel would be planted in your heart and in God's perfect timing, maybe even like Mr. Short, in years in the future, you might come to faith in Jesus Christ before it's too late. We'll be in the book of 1 Corinthians, a letter written by the Apostle Paul after he had come to believe in Jesus as his Savior. The aim of 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 3 through 8, centers on the most important news the world has ever heard. Christ has died, and Christ is risen. These two truths are the bedmark of all Christianity, the bedrock on which all Christianity is built. And on this Resurrection Sunday, what I'd like to do is just turn over some of these stones and Rehearse the old, old story that is such good news. We'll organize our thinking under two primary headings. First, the crucified Redeemer. And second, the resurrected Redeemer. If you would stand with me once more as we read together, as we do each week. God's holy and inerrant word, though written long ago, speaks to us today. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that He was buried, 
and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, that he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and all the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Amen. First, let us fix our gaze on the crucified Redeemer. Paul makes it clear that he delivered to the Christians in Corinth only what he first received. This language is what scholars call traditioning, where Jewish rabbis would pass uh, the truths that they had received onto their students in hopes that those students would pass those truths on to the next generation. That's part of what we're doing exactly here today. The news of the resurrection of Jesus was given to us, and now we tell it to one another and tell it to the next generation. He intends for this teaching to be passed on. Notice how Paul frames this part of his letter by saying these truths he's about to highlight are of first importance. What makes these truths so important is that they are a summary of the gospel, of the good news, of the death and resurrection of Jesus. So how can the death of anyone, especially the death of Jesus, be considered good news? I'm so glad you asked. The death of Jesus is good news because of the reason that he died. Paul doesn't leave it up to us to guess. He explicitly states it in verse 3. Christ died for our sins. Christ died for our sins. In that one little phrase, we seem to have it all. It answers the question of who. Who died? Well, the answer is none other than Jesus, whom the Nicene Creed confesses is the Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made who for us men, for our salvation, came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man. This is who Jesus is. We also have the what. What did he do? Well, after living a perfect life of obedience to his father, he was, the creed continues, crucified under Pontius Pilate, crucified and buried on that Good Friday long ago. There was no manipulation about this. It was no sleight of hand, no trick. The Romans knew well how to put someone to death. They were experts in the matter. And on that day, on a hill called Golgotha, Jesus died. Why? Why is the death of Jesus so important? Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6, says it clearly. 
He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord laid on him, Christ, the iniquity of us all. The death of Jesus Christ is good news because it was a substitutionary death. Jesus died in our place. It was for crimes that we would commit that Jesus was charged as a criminal. For our rebellion, he was beaten and flogged and whipped. For our sin, he was spat upon, a crown of thorns pressed down on his brow so that blood is flowing down his face. For our transgressions, his hands were nailed to the cross, a spear thrust into his side. For you and for me, he suffered all the way to the grave until he proclaimed, it is finished. And those words mean the work of salvation to save you and me was complete. As we were saying earlier, to on that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid. Here, in the death of Christ, I live. The death of Jesus is good news because it's through his death that we are given eternal life. I realize on this Easter morning with all the bright colors and smiles that adorn this day. We don't want to focus on the agony of the cross. But it is the cross that makes the resurrection so remarkable. Let me speak to those of you for a moment who know the basics of Christianity but have never believed on Jesus as your Savior. It could be even right now, as you hear God's word proclaimed, that truth is ringing in your heart like an old church bell. That wasn't supposed to happen. The lights are just going off. (laughs) I was worried maybe you were expecting some sort of dramatic thing to happen. (laughs) Probably happened because people are sitting by the light switch. It's okay. We don't want you to be in the dark. And so, but maybe that's you this morning, even as you hear God's word proclaimed that truth is ringing in your heart like an old church bell. You don't need to be convinced that you have sinned against a holy God, that you've broken his law and commands, that you've sinned against others, that there is evil in your heart that you cannot get rid of no matter how hard you try. Not by writing a big check, or attending church on an Easter Sunday, nothing that you do can cleanse you of the stain of sin. Therefore, you need a Savior. The good news of Easter is that a Savior has come. There is a Savior who has come and done all of the work on our behalf. And so what we have left to do is to respond to what Jesus has done, respond to who Jesus is, to lay hold of him by faith, to lay hold of Christ, to believe not just the basic truths, but to believe in those truths and in the person of Jesus as your Savior. 
like old Luke Short, who was born again at age 100, Jesus tells a Pharisee by cover of night named Nicodemus that he must be born again. And he says, how can I be born again? I'm an old man. Jesus says, you're not listening to me. I'm talking about a spiritual birth. And some of you know even now, you need to be born again. And in God's providence, perhaps this is why you're here this morning. Romans chapter 10, verse 9 says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You might say, you don't know what I've done. Oh, but Jesus does. And it's exactly what drove him to the cross to die in your place for crimes that he did not commit, but things that you'd done in order that your record could be wiped clean, in order that he would bring you to himself by faith. The death of Christ is not only a historical event, it is an open invitation. Look with faith to the crucified Redeemer. And now let us fix our eyes on the resurrected Redeemer. Paul wants to make sure that the Christians in Corinth and you and I, by extension, understand these most important twin truths. Christ died, and then his death was verified by his burial. And then second, that Christ was raised, and the resurrection is verified by his appearances. He gives proof for each element, the historicity and verifiability of the death and resurrection of Jesus. In science, we verify facts by using the scientific method. In the arts, we verify them by experiment and repetition, but in history, we prove things by eyewitnesses. This is how you and I know the story of Julius Caesar and of the American Revolution and even the Battle of the Alamo. People were there. They saw it with their own eyes, and then they talked about it and wrote about it. Well, it's the same way with the reality of Christ's resurrection. People saw him die, and then they saw him live again, and they could not stay silent. Four times in this passage, Paul begins with these words, He appeared. He appeared. First he says, He appeared to Peter in the twelve. I think here of the kindness of Christ to first move toward his friends who, uh, were, whose, whose Easter morning, that first Easter morning, didn't start with the same joy of ours. They were huddled together in a room with a door locked, mourning, grieving, fearful, until Jesus appears in the room. Next, he appeared to over 500 people at one time. Paul includes, most of whom are still alive. He wants you to know, you can go and ask these people. Now, they're not still alive today. This was a long time ago, 2,000 years ago. But those people talked about what they saw and passed it to the next generation, traditioning. And those people passed it on until our ears heard that same good news. Paul's saying, go ask them for yourself. The resurrection was verified by people who gave their lives, laid down their lives, not for some myth, but because they were convinced of what they had seen. Through history, there have been many, his, many theories that try to dismiss the resurrection, but no one has ever been able to. No grave was ever found where Jesus' body was buried. And they knew exactly was it, where it was. 
in the tomb of Joseph of Arimathea. If they wanted to go find the body, they knew exactly where they'd placed it, yet nobody was there. Most scholars believe it to be a place that I stood in myself just a couple of months ago. Nobody, I'm here to report. There's never any mention of the apostles being arrested or convicted of having stolen the body of Christ. Matter of fact, on Holy Saturday, uh, some spiritual leaders go and, and ask the authorities for more um, manned guards and for the, seal to, uh, the grave to be sealed off for extra protection so that there wasn't an uprising. Yet none of that was ever, ever known. And then finally, you see Jesus appearing to James and the apostles yet again. And then the last person Paul mentions in his list of people that Christ appeared to is none other than himself. He puts himself last. He understands that in, in some ways he's not even qualified to be an apostle in some people's eyes because he, he didn't receive Christ immediately. Instead, he was persecuting, even killing Christians in all likelihood because they'd broken God's law. He cared so much about the law being upheld. But then one day, in God's perfect timing, uh, the basics of the gospel became what Paul believed in. He was on a road, just traveling to a, a town not close. And on the way there, a bright light flooded his eyes. And his stone-cold heart just immediately melted in the presence of Jesus, and, and he told Paul, it's me you're persecuting when you persecute my people. And immediately, Paul's life was turned upside down. Everything changed because the resurrected Christ appeared to him. Christ appeared to eyewitnesses, and the evidence was substantiated. The historical fact of this occurrence cannot be silenced. It just keeps growing louder and louder. Has Christ appeared to you? Has Christ appeared to you? Of course, here in this 40-day ministry of Jesus, after being resurrected on the earth, he did appear physically to people. He doesn't do that today, but we see him. This room is filled with people whose eyes of faith have beheld the glory and the beauty of Jesus, whose hearts were once stone cold and now are filled with love for him. Jesus said he would draw all men to himself when he was lifted up. The Apostle John talks about this again and again. And that phrase being lifted up points to the work of the crucifixion on the cross and also the glorious resurrection when Christ was glorified. He was lifted up. There are so many comforts to each of us who are Christians that flow to us because of the resurrection. Have you thought about that lately? How many comforts are ours because the resurrection is true? I only have time to tell you of two of them, and uh, neither of them very long. The first is assurance. Gospel, resurrection, assurance. The fact that Christ is no longer dead but alive means that he has won Victory over sin, over Satan, over the grave. We sang earlier, I know that my Redeemer lives. What hope this sweet assurance gives. That he who gave his life for me arose 
with healing in his wings. So Christian, hear the good news of the gospel. These are assurances that are yours because of Christ. Nothing that you do can separate you from the love of God. Is that good news to your soul? There's no sin that you've committed, past, present, or future, that will be counted against you on the day of judgment because the finished work of Christ has absorbed the full wrath of God. His blood covers over you so that you're fully accepted by a holy God. You have the assurance of the Holy Spirit who's been placed inside you to lead and guide you, to comfort you in every situation from the brightest of mornings to the darkest of nights. As we were singing earlier, I thought about these assurances. He'll not forsake me to the grave. As we think about the return of Jesus and he is coming again, he will not delay Time is set. He is coming. And on that day, our eyes will wake to brightest day. These are assurances that are ours because the resurrection is true. The second comfort that is now yours is hope. You have a hope that is stronger than death. A hope that is greater than life. You have a hope that is fixed in heaven. You have a hope that is deeper than every suffering, higher than every temporal joy. You have a hope in life and in death, all because of Jesus. Because if you're in Christ, your hope is no longer in anything in this world. Not your resume, not your portfolio, not how the markets are doing not in your kids getting accepted into a specific college or your child being a future pro athlete, which I know many of you think. No, our hope is in none of those things. Our hope is in heaven. Our hope is in a person. And his name is Jesus Christ. My Redeemer lives. My Redeemer lives on heaven's throne and in my very soul. I know my Redeemer lives. The aim of our time together this Resurrection Sunday is just to center our thoughts and our affections on the most important news the world has ever heard. Christ has died and Christ has risen. And with assurance and hope, we look forward to the day we will know Christ will come again. These truths are the bedrock of our faith. I pray just in these short few moments as we've turned over some of these stones and told again the old, old story of how Jesus Christ lived and died and was raised to life again for us in our place. will fuel your faith this morning. That good news would ring through your hearts with the newness of spring as you think of Jesus. The empty grave is not only a historical event, it is an open invitation. Let's pray. Father, what a joy it is to gather and to be reminded of these basic doctrines of our faith. Basic but never boring. And I pray that we would be a people who continue to walk in faith and belief knowing that our faith and our belief is centered 
on nothing that we've done, on no good that we've earned, but what has been freely given to us through the completed work of Christ. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from The Trails Church. We hope you have been encouraged, equipped, and edified by time spent together in God's Word. And again, if you'd like to find out more about The Trails Church, visit our website, thetrails.org. 